0: Read Second Kings chapter 2, verses 15 through 22. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up, and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? The people of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it saying this is what the Lord says I have healed this water never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive and the water has remained pure to this day according to the word Elisha has spoken
1: thank you Sharon I know several of us were not here last Shabbat and I just wanted to take a moment or so to bring everybody up to speed do a bit of review we're currently in the second sermon from the life of Elisha one of the more spectacular servants of God and prophets in scripture and what we may or may not understand is the larger picture of what takes place here Uh, we see the spectacular miracles of course but you may or may not know that Israel at this point is thick in the grasp of Baalism you may know that the word Baal the name Baal means Lord, Master but also husband and the fact that it was brought as a counterfeit religion, counterfeit faith into Israel was a particularly nasty slap in the face of God Um, the fact that Israel chose to dive headlong into Baal worship for a couple reasons. First of all who is the only one who is worthy to be called Lord and Master? It's certainly not a statue uh, that is lifeless. And second of all the only one who is worthy to be called husband for the nation of Israel is the Lord. This is part of the picture that we have um, in the Torah. In fact, the rabbis, when they look at, at the Torah, at the word of God, they find a pattern that resembles uh, a written marriage covenant, marriage contract called the ketuvah. And so underneath what is going on here as far as the, uh, the, the battles that are going on, the uh, miracles and so on, you have a major spiritual warfare battle for the soul of the nation of Israel. And yes, you might be tempted to say this was 2,800 years ago. But the truth is that Baalism, Baal worship and its companion worship, the worship of Asherah or in Greek Ashtarti which was basically like a uh, uh, Asherah was worshipped as a statue like a totem pole Baalism is very much alive and well in the 21st century. It really is very contemporary you know surveys of people in the United States repeatedly find that the vast majorities of Americans consider themselves to be believers in God whoever he or she or it may be Um, and it's very much like Baalism it has very little to do with the God of the Bible it has an attitude that is counterfeit, very much like anything goes kind of an attitude. Uh, the faith that people communicate is often the hoping and wishing and crossing your fingers. You hear people talk about, I'm going to cross my fingers for you. Uh, that sounds like major spiritual mojo, you know? Uh, certainly does not keep you warm at night. And the worship of Asherah is very much 21st century. You may know that the worship of Asherah uh, and some of the other female deities, gods and, uh, goddesses, involved the so-called fertility rite, which translated into sexual perversion. The male and female prostitutes serving at the temple were called Kadesh, which means that which is sanctified. And you think about how God presents himself in Scripture, particularly in the vision of Isaiah, where he's described as holy, 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 Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. He is as holy as is possible. And for the fact that these counterfeit Servants of of Asherah would be considered holy, set apart. Boggles the mind, doesn't it? And yes, all of that was in the twenty first was twenty eight hundred years ago, but this is very much today, folks. You know, you look around you, and we talked about uh, some of the gay agenda last Shabbat and not as the big, bad, ugliest possible sin but simply as an indicator of where society is. We live in a polluted society. You see that in all kinds of situations including the election process that sometimes makes you want to heave. I speak for myself. And so we as believers are confronted With this picture of what do we do with living in Baal country? How do you function in it? Do you do like some believers do? And that is go on the offensive against people and against institutions. And engage in the so-called culture wars. Um, You know, you listen to radio sometimes and you get inflamed. You know, your, your blood pressure is raised by people uh, throwing out all kinds of inflammatory language and if you engage in it, it becomes part of you. And is that what God wants? And I believe, folks, that neither that nor the really passive approach of whatever is really of God and, and what we see in the life of Elijah and Elisha is the fact that Baal is no match for God, folks. We lose sight of that because all we can see is the pollution and the uh, perversion. Some of it is rank. Some of it is is a lot more subtle. But I believe that the lessons that God has for us is the fact that He is very much control in the middle of Baal, Country. So I want to pause for a minute and just ask that the Lord would speak to us and uh, that the Ruach, the Spirit of God would stir within us the holy boldness to live lives and to learn from lessons that we see in these pages. Lord God, we bless your name we thank you Lord that you in us are greater than he who's in the world Lord God that Baal country is no match for you Lord and that you have placed us in the midst of the darkness of the world Lord not to be consumed and overrun by it but Lord God to be lights and darkness and Lord God we desperately need to see your light and focus on your light rather than curse the darkness. We need, Lord God, to have a fresh and new revelation of who you are and the fact that you truly are kadosh, that you are holy, Lord God, and that we would be able to line ourselves, put ourselves in line with that, Lord God, and, and live lives that are led and empowered and emboldened by your Spirit, Lord God, as we see played out on these pages. Stir us, Lord God, with zeal from your Spirit, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Last Shabbat we talked some about the beaming up of Elijah, so it won't take much time to Uh, talk about this portion that uh, Sharon read to us. Just suffice to say that the group of probably 50 prophets that stood on the shores of the uh, Jordan River probably did not see exactly what took place. They saw this what seemed to be a whirlwind, sort of tornado-ish but they really didn't see what happened to Elijah. They apparently did not see the chariot of uh, and horses of fire come and separate Elijah and Elisha. What they saw was the whirlwind of dust, and that's why they come and they talk to Elisha and they say, uh, "Where's your master? He seems to have disappeared." Why don't you let us, send us, so we go check him out. And Elisha, who did see what was going on, says to them, no, 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 no. But they persisted. He sent them, and they find out that Elijah is truly gone. This is one of the indicators that the anointing from God had passed from Elijah to Elisha. And this is, by the way, incredibly... Uh, vivid picture for us who have a heart to serve God and that you and I are not indispensable. Let me say that again. We are not indispensable. None of us is. We're servants of God. The only one who is truly indispensable is God. And the power and the anointing from the Spirit comes on those of us on on all of us who are designated to carry out a particular assignment. And when God is finished and He says, move on, time to get you beamed up in one form or another, that needs to be transferred to somebody else. And that's the reason why we're committed to working with our youth. Because the same anointing, the same calling that God has given us, uh, more senior citizens... Needs to be transferred onto the younger generation for them to continue as Elijah did. Elisha did rather. And that's clearly the case with him, you know, when he parted the waters. Here comes another situation. The men of Jericho come to him and say, "Look, our Lord, by the way, this is not Lord with capital L. This town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive and what does it mean that it was well situated by the way I'm reading from the new international version here Jericho had one of the largest freshwater springs in the entire land of Israel still does it apparently came from the from the hills and and there are some accounts that it was enclosed in a reservoir and from that it spread across to different parts of the city. It's right in the midst of Judean desert. And by the way, uh, Elaine and those who were with her got to see some of the desert, I, I imagine. And it's, it's spectacular how that as you drive on the highway you see on one side absolute desert and then on the other side you see greenness and cultivation particularly where um, you have some of the uh, kibbutzim, some of the agricultural settlements so this Jericho was an oasis in fact it's described as a city of palm trees in the Torah now for some reason the city is in a bad way, it's withered and the townspeople are saying the city has great potential but the water is bad now what does it mean that the water is bad? it's not like for us when we live in Denver those of us who live close to Commerce City you may have heard that uh, Suncorp this has been going on for a while, Suncorp Uh, refinery leaked benzene into the sand creek Um, something that they were able to find out, they were able to detect it with their scientific instruments and uh, they've been working hard to see to it that it stops well in this case we don't really know for sure what bad water was could have been uh, brackish, saltish Um, and by the way what's What's especially ironic here is that you have bad water, ma'im ra'im, contrasted often with ma'im chayim, the living water that comes and from springs where the water flows freely. We'll talk more about ma'im chayim, living water. But the other word that really jumped out at me is the fact that the, the land is called unproductive. And again, a very strong language meaning something like, "this land is childless" or "it's a miscarriage." You think about the implications—strong stuff. That that the because of the because of the bad water, plant life isn't productive, animal life isn't productive, and human fertility is down. Now, did you hear that last phrase? Human fertility is down. The worship of Baal and especially of Asherah involved fertility. And this was Baal country. People believed that if Baal and Asherah came together then the result would be fertility. And it's not happening. It's a basic problem oh, let's see, maybe we should come and see what our God has to say about that. Does that give you a picture of where the land is spiritually? People are in bad, bad, bad shape. They're bankrupt. Now why is that situation there? That's just something that came about by serendipity, by accident? Obviously not. Part of what you see in the Torah is the Lord saying to Israel, you follow me and obey me, I will bless you. You think you're more clever than I am, in reality stupid, and you choose not to obey me, I will see to it that you're disciplined and punished and cursed. And one of the blessings that you find in the Torah is that God speaks about fertility as something that He gives Freely to those who choose to follow Him. Fruitfulness is something that you and I can expect as we follow God. The very basic principle of life, basic pr- principle of spiritual life. If, if you follow God, if you walk in His ways, if you're obedient to Him, part of your reality, part of the picture in your life will be Fruitfulness if on the other hand you see bad water resulting in unfruitfulness then then you realize that there is a problem between you and God and you need to step back and have some sense and say God what's going on here in the case of Jericho there was a very specific cause and effect Jericho was considered to be property that belonged to God it was to be devoted for destruction a very strange kind of an idea from our mindset that Jericho was to be devoted the Hebrew word there is cherem I'm not going to ask you to pronounce it cherem just simply means set apart not like holy set apart but set apart for destruction Why? Because God's judgment had to come on these people. The Lord waited 400 years for them to get it. They didn't. Judgment had to come, and the city had to be destroyed. Joshua chapter 6 he pronounced this oath saying, Cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to build this city. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. I mean, this is clearly talking about uh, putting a wall around a city. And in those days, unless you had a wall, you really didn't have a city. Uh, you know, you can have houses, buildings, so on. You had to have a wall in order for it to be considered a city. And Israel was so bankrupt, so spiritually, at at the bottom level that people didn't get the fact that if God through Joshua said don't build it if you build it I will come and I will come in judgment and one of the people in the area decided that he knew better Chiyam, Chiel rather excuse me he decided to build Jericho and that's exactly what happened he lost his kids what an awful, awful judgment that Chiel brought upon himself and apparently the impact of his action continued and this is pretty sobering to remember that our actions your action, my action ripple outward. We don't live in a vacuum. I mean, you know, sometimes we see ourselves as functioning as basically as individuals or maybe couples. The truth is, somehow God sees to it that our actions ripple outward and impact the lives of other people. Whether we are clued to it or not, or whether we're clueless, doesn't matter. Our actions, bear consequences for ourselves and for those around us, for good or for evil. This is apparently what happened in in Jericho. Jericho was cursed. Now again, please do remember, folks, that God's option A is always mercy. That's His preferred route. But there are times when His mercy Continues and continues and continues and the Lord says I have waited for you to turn and you have refused now I have to act in judgment you find that not, not only in the Old Testament in the Tanakh you find it in in the New Testament because it's God's unchanging principle you know what we do whether it's visible or whether it's hidden has consequences Paul puts it this way do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked a man reaps what he sows the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature he will reap destruction the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit he will reap eternal life then he goes on to say Let us not become weary in doing good for in proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What's the connection? The connection is that giving up and bailing out in doing the work of God is doing the wrong kind of sowing. And it's tempting. You know, when you're you're serving God, when you're doing good things, that he has led and instructed you, and you get weary, gets, you get tired, and you say, I'm out of here. That's not walking according to the Spirit of God. That's walking according to the flesh. There are consequences that go with that, folks. And you look around and you see all kinds of people who claim to be followers of Yeshua and whose basic premise is, if it's too hard, I bail. And the word of God is very emphatic. If you bail from what God puts, what God puts before you, there are consequences. In Elisha's time, things were very difficult. There was death in the water and you can say that the death in the water was a metaphor for the spiritual death in the land because these people were so clueless that they were willing to worship Baal and Asherah on one hand on the other hand they paid lip service to God remember that that Ahab you know the big bad guy who was married to Jezebel Ahab named both of his kids with names that refer to the God of Israel trying to cover all bases trying to pay lip service but his heart was not with God of Israel but with Baal now you say to yourself no that's fine and dandy this has nothing to do with me Because I don't have a literal Baal or Asherah. Furthermore, I don't have a fat Buddha in my house where I put um, you know, oranges or, or uh, grapes and so on. Um, I don't worship gods. Yes and no. It is hard to understand the impact of Asherah worship in this country worldwide actually um, that finds its, its way in addiction to pornography and other forms of sexual immorality you know I, I've had people come up to me from time to time asking me uh, is it wrong for us to live together we become so desensitized by our culture because the envelope, so-called envelope gets pushed further and further out and it becomes part of reality and we don't think much of it in a sense we are kind of drifting like Lot closer and closer to Sodom and Gomorrah now of course that's very obvious because those are big, bad, ugly sins we can easily identify them the truth is, folks Baal worship is a lot more subtle a lot lot more pernicious let me see if I can explain what I mean by that think about the things in your life that really matter ask yourself a basic question what is the most important thing in my life and yes I know we are in a sanctuary so you might be tempted to say God but at home in the privacy of your own house ask yourself this question what is the most important thing that matters to me that I'm pursuing that I'm chasing and the truth is you know you, you've, you may have seen the um, pictures of dog racing I can't say that I'm a dog racing aficionado. But what little I know of it, I'm aware of the fact that the the greyhounds go out there and they chase a mechanical rabbit. The mechanical rabbit goes round and round and round and round and sometimes the doggies uh, get so desperate that they actually jump on the mechanical rabbit and, and try to capture it. And we have mechanical rabbits in our life. We have things that we chase and we pursue that we pour our life and our energy into things that appear to be good or maybe even holy and spiritual and God-given. But there are things that we pursue in our own strength and our own wisdom. And God basically is squeezed out and what happens folks is in essence we are engaged in Baal worship. We are devoting our ourselves and our attention to something that is not God driven, God based led and empowered by the Spirit of God. We have special projects that do or die, they will get done. No matter if no matter what kind of an approach we take, just one example. We chase those mechanical rabbits and that basically is a form of Baalism, Baal worship. What what drives us, folks? What, what energizes us? What gives us meaning? Is it the fact that we're able to look at the end of the day and And check off a number of things that we were able to accomplish during the day. Please do remember, I got four fingers pointing in my direction. It really, really, really is Baal worship, folks. Because at the end of the day, what we have is not living water, but what we have is bad water. It doesn't give life. And we find ourselves very much like the Samaritan woman in a conversation with Yeshua. Yeshua said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who that asks you for drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Poor gal really is clueless what Yeshua is talking about. Uh, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep and where are you going to get this living water? you don't seem to be someone who has the ability Yeshua finally gets through to her and says whoever drinks of the water I give him will never thirst the water will the water I give him will become in him a spring of water living out to eternal life folks this really 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 is not rocket science you step back in your life and see what, is, what has been the fruit of your life the last year or two? Have you been, been coming regenerated, renewed, strengthened in the Spirit, drinking on the Lord's water, growing into maturity in Him, producing the kind of fruit He wants you to produce? Or are you going around and around and around like the people of Jericho, drinking from bad water? Just look at the fruit in your life and see what's happening. Don't look at the to-do list, the list of projects, good as they are. Look at where you are with the Lord today in relation to where you are were with the Lord a year ago. Are you receiving the life giving water? Is it spreading life in you and spreading outward to others and impacting the life of other people? People of Jericho finally had the smarts to come to Elisha, ask for help. And what he proposes to do is bizarre. I mean, think about it. Here you have a whole city that is perishing and they come to this guy and he says give me a new bowl okay here's a new bowl put some salt in it okay here's some salt this is what God said the water is going to be healed now put yourself in their shoes doesn't that seem a little strange first of all what's the big deal about new bowl why does it have to be new can it be grandma's bowl It has to be new because things that are devoted to God, kadosh, that which is set apart, has to be something that is set apart for God. That is why the children of Israel had to bring yearlings that have never been used for any other purpose. For the Passover and for other functions. Now what's the deal about the salt? do you really think that a bowl of salt could have cured the water? Reality is, Elisha could have asked for a bowl of cayenne pepper. The cayenne pepper would have done basically the same thing. Think about it. Can a bowl of salt bring about the transformation physically in a spring that provides water for the entire city. Logically, it makes absolutely no sense. Obviously there had to be something else. It was not about a chemical or physical reaction. It had to be about a symbol of something that was going to happen. So what's the big deal about salt? Well, a couple of things. First of all, salt was part of the incense. Probably in a preservative sense. But if you remember that the incense was used for the holiest, the most sacred parts of the worship of God. The high priest would take the incense on Yom Kippur and come around to the Holy of Holies And have the incense form a cloud so that he can see God. We also find, this was in Exodus 30, 34. We also find that the salt was used for some of the sacrifices. Let me just read to you a couple of verses um, to illustrate that. This is Leviticus 2, season all your grain offerings with salt, do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings and salt all your offerings. Now again, to us it really doesn't make sense, but apparently what happened was that the salt was rubbed onto the meat of the sacrifice. Um... We, we can think of salt in our food that it makes the food tasty. God really doesn't need salt to make the sacrifices tasty because He really doesn't taste it. It's human language, just like Scripture speaks about the offerings being um, sweet-smelling incense in, in the nostrils of God. Human language to convey the fact that what was brought by the Israelites as a sacrifice was a pleasing act of obedience on their part towards God. Remember folks, salt back then was a valuable commodity. It's not like going to King Supers and getting Morton's iodized salt. It was very very valuable. Covenant of salt could have something to do with the fact that when the covenants were put together, there was a very special festive meal that included salt on the meat. We don't really know. We can speculate from now until the cows or or the uh, uh, sheep come home. But in any event, it's obviously symbolic. Salt is very special, very precious. Uh, Bring it... As an expression of the fact that you're willing to be obedient to the covenant responsibilities that you have not for 600 years. It's an expression of the people of Jericho saying we're willing God to remember the fact that you have called us into this special covenant relationship. And so salt in another sense functions as a way of setting us apart because we are considered to be preservative or salty Yeshua puts it this way you're the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men now this is from Matthew 5. What Yeshua is, is obviously not saying is that salt can be anything other than sodium chloride. If you have a science background, you know what I'm talking about. It can't become potassium or, or uh, zinc or something. But salt back in those days was in rather crude form. And as long as it weren't too many uh, impurities in it you could use it to, to season your meat but if you had all kinds of impurities in it then it stopped being salty and the only thing you can do is throw it out for the dogs or sheep etc. to trample on Yeshua's point is believers have to be different we, our lives cannot be indistinguishable from the lives of other people around us we cannot seek to blend in to avoid sticking out like a sore thumb if you and I truly seek to follow the Lord then we will become more and more salty in terms of being different in terms of being preservative preserving God's values God's kingdom here in this rotten society, in this Baal Baal country. Israel definitely lost its saltiness way back, way back in Solomon's days. Now, do you see that the people of Jericho come to Elisha and say, you know, Elisha, we have really screwed up uh, we have left the Lord our God. We have uh, ceased being faithful to our covenant relationship with Him. Uh, we know we have sinned. We've been absolutely rotten. We want to be restored to God. Do they say any of those things? Absolutely not. What do they care about? They care about survival. And of course, we want to point finger at them until we realize what drives us to come to God. Is it a sense of desperation and a sense of hunger for God that that we have this emptiness for Him or or are we driven to seek God because we need X, Y, Z. We need this, we need that, we need the other. We're really significantly not a whole lot different in this way from the people of, of Jericho. We come to God and say, God we need this, we need this, we need such and such, such and such and if we're learning to drink from the water of life, if we're learning to draw to Him, then at some point what we're going to get is that the biggest need, the biggest goodie in our life is Him God will give us a clue what happens here in this situation is God is merciful. He doesn't say to them, you know, you really need to come. You really need to repent. You need to put off your, your Baal worship and so on. No. He is being merciful to him. Again, remember that God's mercy is option A. That's his preferred route. Amen. And if you have this notion of God being celestial Scrooge, let me encourage you today to repent of it. And to ask the Lord to show you his goodness and his mercy. Elisha takes the bowl of salt water and in the action he says, this is what the Lord says, I have healed the water. In other words, this has happened before the the salt was spread out. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive or have the land produce um, miscarriages and the section is concluded by saying the water remained wholesome to this day according to the word Elisha had spoken the water remained healed why? the people still were rotten spiritually male worship continued but it was God's will God's pleasure to bring about restoration In Jericho to bring about a permanent reversal. And he said, I'm going to heal. And he stayed true to that word, even though the people were faithless. This is the amazing thing, folks, that God gives us mercy at times when we when we deserve judgment. Can you say amen to that? You know, all the times when you were doing something that you knew you had no business doing and all of a sudden you hear the Lord's still small voice hello, I love you, stop and you get ashamed of yourself you realize that what you're doing is stupid and you say yes Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll stop not because we are afraid that, that He's going to come on us with a, with a two by four, but because we know he loves us. Here's, uh, I want to close with another story from my time with Isaiah, my grandson. We went to this um, great uh, bastion of uh, haute cuisine, um, also known as McDonald's, And uh, we sat praying over the food in desperate expectation that the Lord would do something with it. And uh, so we're giving thanks for the food. And a little precocious girl comes along and said, I know what you're doing. You're praying to your God. All right. And then she says, I also pray to my God. the dream weaver before I go to sleep and I thought to myself am I in an alternate universe and where we live in our neighborhood is not exactly the Bible Belt um... So, in a sense, it's not terribly surprising that we see all kinds of alternate spirituality. But it just was, was a shock to the system, a reminder that we live in a, in a society where alternate spirituality, where Baal worship thrives. And folks, even where, if you live in what you consider to be God's country, where everybody is a conservative Republican and born again believer Baal worship still continues because this is our society and it's easy to develop an attitude where we see us and them and the truth is yes the world that they represent is ugly however we are fellow sinners as well That as we learn to chase after God the laser light of the Spirit of God cuts through all the baloney in our life and shows us just who we are and shows us our sin and makes it abundantly clear that if it weren't for the mercy of God and His pursuing us on an ongoing basis we too would have Baal worship thriving in our life that we cannot afford to have a holier than attitude perspective this is not a call for us to then sit on a surgery table last medical comment uh, Dr. Miller and attempt attempt to to try and diagnose ourselves but simply seek God and, and wait for the word of God to come. And the Lord says to us now, Why, what I'm commanding you is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven. So you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea. So that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it. And proclaim it so we may obey. Know the word is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. This is Deuteronomy 30. As we seek God without preconditions, without attempting to set things right and fix things, and coming in simple humility, the word of God, which is alive and powerful and active, will cut through and will show us our sin and encourage us then to come and seek cleansing and seek healing from the Lord. That's God's heart folks is to heal the bad water in our life to bring about consecration where there is defilement and I just want to close with this one verse I feel like the Lord has been speaking to me and also to us as a congregation. This is part of the instruction given during the construction of the tabernacle. Offerings to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of the meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites... And, my, and the place will be consecrated by my glory Amen. so that I will consecrate the tent of the meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. Yes, God calls on us to repent, but who does the real work of consecration and the cleansing and the healing It's the Lord's. Let's embrace that. Father God, we're humbled in your presence. We're humbled, Lord, because of how easy it is for us, Lord, to look at others and magnify their sin with a magnifying glass and ignore our own Thank you, Lord God, that you're merciful and faithful to come back and speak your word to us and remind us that it is your goodness that leads to repentance. I pray, Lord God, for each one of us just to be overwhelmed and to be blown over, Lord God, by by a strong sense of your goodness in our life. Lord God, that we would seek your holiness... That we will look to you, that we will depend upon you, that we will wait upon you, and we will trust you, Lord God, for that sanctification, for that cleansing, Lord God, for us. That we would be shining lights, we would be salt, Lord God, in the midst of Baal country. Be exalted, Lord God, in our life, we pray in the name of Yeshua. Amen.